Thank you guys for being here tonight. Um, you know, the message that I have for tonight, I've actually been a little nervous about sharing it, not because it's bad, just because it's, you know, it's something that I've been dealing with for such a long time. And I know I think it's something that all of us have, not just us, but even the church as a whole, maybe Agape as a whole, but just a lot of us, we deal with on a daily basis. You know, and you'll understand what, I, what I'm talking about once I get into it. Um, but you can see as the slide talks about hope. And I think that's something that all of us, especially me, I need to be reminded of. You know, one thing we do know, of course, we have hope in Christ. And that's the one thing I think that we probably, we just haven't forgotten. But there's another hope that I want to remind you of. And that's the promises that God has made to you personally. The prophetic promises that were spoken over you. The words that were spoken to you either straight from God or the word that someone came to you and said, hey, I have a word for you, and they spoke over you. Those are the promises, and that's the hope that I want to talk to you about tonight because that's something that I have been dealing with for such a long time. It's something that I long to see in my life, but yet some of those promises I haven't seen come to pass at all, and it starts to make me wonder. Is this even, did I even hear God? Did I even, did I even hear God when that all happened? Was the person who said that to me, you know, were they even accurate? Or what was their spiritual level? I mean, all these things, because I, I hung on this one thing, or many things. You know, some of us in here, I know me, I mean, there, there are large amounts of promises that I have had from God, you know, and I can, I can write them down all day. I could probably come up with several sheets of paper. Um, but the one thing I do want to do tonight is I think I should have a couple pencils, or if you even have your iPad with you, you can type. If you don't have your, does everybody have your iPad with you, or you need a piece of paper or something? Okay, or I'm going to, take about five minutes and I'm just going to play a song during that time and I want you to write down every promise whether it's come to pass or not maybe you just have one maybe you have a hundred maybe it's about ministry maybe it's about your personal life maybe it's something that God has promised you a long time ago but I want you to take some time, about five minutes, and I want you to write every promise that you can possibly think. Maybe it's a promise from Scripture. Maybe it's a prophetic word that was spoken over you. So go ahead and start that. Uh, while you do that, I'm going to go ahead and um, play some music.
You've taken the time to write down promises. Um, normally, in, in most circumstances, you know, um, the person speaking would say, okay, now focus in what I'm saying and listen to the words. While you're listening and while I'm going through this, I want you to remember what you've written down, okay? Um, I want to start out with Ezekiel. In chapter 37, we, we know what happened with Ezekiel. We know that when he was in the valley and God said, go prophesy to, the, to these dry bones, we know that he did that, right? So this is a vast army. He said, speak to these bones and speak flesh on them, tendons and, and, and all these things. And then all of a sudden they rose up, right? And in verse 37... In chapter 37, in verse 9 through 10, it says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied, and he commanded me, as he commanded me, and the breath entered them. And they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. They stood on their feet, a vast army. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And this is what usually happens when we, when, we, when we share this scripture. We stop right here. And we hype everybody up. And everybody's gung-ho and, and they're yelling and they're shouting and they're praising God. But I can't get past because, see, in the next verse, in the next verse, we never go there, but in the next verse, in verse 11, it says, Then he said to me, God says, 
Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. And they say, the bones say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. And to be quite honest, I have been right there for some time. Almost to the exact phrase, I remember saying that to myself just these past few months. These, my bones are all dried up. My hope is gone. And you might as well just cut me off. You raised me up. You put flesh on me. You breathed into me but I have no hope. So what does Ezekiel do? He reminds them of a hope. He reminds them of a promise because see, there's a promise in here. There's a promise in what God says. He says, he says, therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, you, me, my people, he says, I am going to open up your graves. That is a promise. I am going to open up your graves. I am going to bring you from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open up your graves and bring you from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. That's a promise. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. God speaks a promise. And when it is fulfilled, you know that it is God. But what about the time before it's fulfilled? What about the time when you say to yourself, my bones are dried up, my hope is gone, and you might as well cut me off. That seems to be a tough place to be. Because, see, we all have promises. We all have things that God has spoken to us. Either God himself came to us through prayer or at any moment in time and spoke a promise over our lives several of them, or someone came to us and prophetically spoke a promise from God to us. And we hung on to that promise. We hung on to it like it was dear life until we started realizing that we're not seeing anything from it. And then we slowly let it go. One of my other favorite moments was when um, Elijah, we know what Elijah did. The man was at the climax of his ministry, or we would say that he was at the climax of his ministry, takes down, eliminates the prophets of Baal, and he says to them, you know what? If you think your God is real, if you think your God is the one who should be worshipped, then call him. We'll build an altar. We'll do these things. We'll put... Put, you call, of your, you call your God. So they called God. What did they do? Called him. 
And they called him and they called him. They beat themselves. They whipped themselves. They cut themselves. They did everything they could possibly do. And, and, and what happened? He never showed up. In fact, I love Elijah. He almost mocks them and humiliates them. He says, where's your God? Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's fallen asleep. Somewhere in one version it says maybe he's in the bathroom. But he says, where is your God? He, he humiliated them. He mocked them. You know, he put them in this place to where, you know, it's like, really the God that you believe is not even here. So what are you even believing? And then he says, now it's my turn. And we all know what he did. God came and he sucked it all up. So the climax of his ministry, we would think, we would say, because what does he do? He, he puts all those prophets of Baal to the sword, kills them. Man, you think to yourself, if I could be in a position like that, if I could be the man that Elijah was, the strength that he had, he must have believed everything from God because look what he did. But it wasn't soon after that, possibly, what, the next chapter. All of a sudden, Jezebel speaks a word over him. And she says to him, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life that of one of them. The same way that you treated my prophets, in the same way you dealt with them, I'm going to deal with you tomorrow. And he says he got afraid. He says that Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom, a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. You know, there are times in our lives when the enemy speaks a word over us. And we've probably all experienced it. Maybe a medical thing. When maybe the doctor says, this is what you have. But see, you hold on to a promise. Maybe it's a personal thing. But everything around says no. People might even say, no, that's not the way it's going to go. Because see, the enemy wants to speak a word over your life. Because if he can do that, he can get here. He can get in your head and make you believe. He can make that word become reality. And once he makes that word become reality, you lose hope. And you let go of your promise. Do you know what you do? See, at one point in time, you were pregnant with a promise. You were pregnant with a promise, and you were happy about that promise. But Satan came and spoke a word over your life. And you ran because you were afraid. 
and you saw it as real and you allowed that word to manifest itself in a real way. And to see if someone doesn't stop you, you'll abort that promise. And see, I come very close and I have been dealt with very harshly with God because there are several promises that God has shown me that I was ready to abort. I was ready to turn my back on them. And I didn't realize that's what I was getting ready to do because I was losing hope. I was losing, I was losing that joy of the promise. And I was finally ready to say, you know what, I've had enough. I don't see this happening in my life or in my lifetime. And I'm ready to just let it go. And the problem with that is once I do that, the enemy's won because I just aborted the promise. The promise I was pregnant with, I aborted it. But then all of a sudden, God changes his plans. And Elijah hears the promise. In God's directive, he reveals to Elijah the promise. And it changes everything. It changes the whole course of things. Because we know what happened was that Elijah runs. And after he gets out from under the tree, he goes to a cave. And God says, wait a minute, what are you doing in the cave? I didn't call you in a cave. Your promise can't be manifested if you're in a cave. And I've been in a cave. I've been in a cave for a year. There was a season in my life where I was in a cave for one whole year. And God told me the same thing he told him. What are you doing in here? Why are you here? And then he wants to hear God and he hears God what, in the wind. And God wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake and he wasn't in the fire. But it was that still small voice. But he didn't hear it until Elijah stepped to the edge. And for me, that's like the 11th hour because I've been on the edge. I have been in that place where I'm right there, and it's either I do or I don't. And at that moment, he heard God. And he says to him, go back the way you came. See, that's important. Go back the way you came. See, sometimes you have to go back the way you came. Now, in some cases, I've often heard God tell me, you need to go back where you started because, see, I can't bless you beyond your last act of disobedience. I thought I was doing okay. But, then, but sometimes, every now and then, he says, go back the way you came because I've got another direction for you. Because the direction you're going isn't the direction I had called you to. A lot of times we get a promise. And when we don't see that promise, 
unfolding the way we want it to unfold, we start to unfold it ourselves. We start to figure out when, where, how. We get so consumed in the details of the promise that we forget about the promise. Does that make sense? Because you, you're figuring out, God, this is the promise. But now how am I going to get there? How is it going to happen? How is it going to be manifested? Who's going to be part of it? At what point in time? Where am I going to be in life? But it's not for me or for you to worry about the details of the promise. That's God. I don't know how many times I've had God tell me, I'm sitting there thinking about the things that he shared with me of promises, and I'm, and I'm trying to figure out the details of it, and how, how am I going to make this happen so this promise can be fulfilled? And God says, wait a minute, stop. You let me worry about the details, and you just hold on to the promise. You just hold on to the hope. And I say, but, you know, because I'm one of those kind of people that says, you know, this would be the best way. This would be the best way for this to happen. I have had God tell me, you know what, Michael, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And it's not up to you to know how I do it. So he says, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, See, he's giving him a directive. He's, he's starting to say, this is the way I want you to go. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshai, king over Israel. And anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat, and uh, from Abel Mahala, to succeed you as prophet. So he's telling him what to do, but get ready. He says, Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel. And Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. That's a promise. And then he says what I believe he needed to hear. Because when he was in the cave and when he was running for his life, he said, I'm, he said, I was very zealous for God. And now they've killed everyone and I'm the only one left. He was under the impression that he was the only one left. But God said, wait a minute. I have reserved 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. He was giving him hope. And... The hope is tonight, the promises that you have, God has taken them, and he says, I have them in reserve for you. Those promises that you've, you've prayed over, you've cried over, the promises that you have constantly have been reminded of the ones that you just about lost hope over, the ones that you've just about aborted. I've taken them and I have reserved. They're there. Don't lose them. 
I'm going to share one of the promises, well, one of the many. Several, several years ago, I was sharing this with Sarah, um, I guess a couple weeks ago, and it was right after I had given my testimony at the men's, men's meeting. And when I got home or that next morning, all of a sudden, I remember I was sitting there the next morning, I was sitting down and I was just going through some, some papers that I had written some stuff down and I had forgotten about, I didn't realize the promises that I had forgotten. And all of a sudden, God reminded me about, it was maybe two or three weeks before I came to Christ. And the first dream, the first dream I had, I remember it was probably the worst dream to date. Because in the dream, if you can just imagine, I was in absolute darkness. No echo in my voice, nothing. Absolute black blackness, if there's even such a thing. And then out of that blackness, came this face in front of me. And it was encased in that of everything that was encased in this face was everything that was evil, everything that was fear, everything that was bad was encased within that one, that this face that I saw that came, just rushed up to me. And it says to me, you will always be mine. And I knew who that was. Even though I was not a Christian, I knew who that was. And that scared the hell out of me. But then, a night or two later, I had another dream. And... I remember when I was sitting at the desk, remembered, I just remember just all of a sudden crying. I was sitting in the dream, I was sitting down on this stoop, like, a, in like an urban, like New York, those stoops. And I was sitting down on it by myself, and all of a sudden, a man comes up. And I could just feel his presence. Everything about him. Everything about him was love. Everything about him was authority. Everything about him was compassion, everything, and I saw the face of God. I could see him, and he sat down next to me, and he told me everything that was going to happen in my life. And he looked at me, and he put his finger on my mouth, and he said, shh, when you wake up, you won't remember any of this. And I woke up. And I remember, and I told Sarah when I was telling her this dream a couple weeks ago, I said, even to this day, I can see, I can see what he looks like, but I can't tell you. 
It's like something that has been planted in my heart, but I can't release it. I know what he looks like, but I can't express it. I know what the presence of God feels like, but I can't, I can't get it out because I don't have the words for it. What, what is, all of a sudden I'm thinking, what is God doing to me? And I'm not even a Christian, and I, I wasn't even, you know, I had already possibly told him, if, I'm, if I remember my time frame right, I've already probably told him no twice when he's called me. And then it probably wasn't a couple Sundays later. I gave my life to Christ. Now, I know, there, I, I know this sounds crazy. Like, what, what does it have to do with any kind of promise? Well, for me, at least, it has a whole lot to do because at least in my life and the calling that I have on my life, I long for the presence of God. I long to be in that place where he is to push everything aside my heart is to be in the center of the presence. And then a couple of weeks after I gave my life to Christ, God gave me another promise, but I didn't know what it was. And I remember being on a boat, and it was the boat was rocking just a little bit, and there are tons of people on this boat. I mean, I could barely see past him. And then a man came to me, and he looked at me. I could see him across the boat. He looked at me, and he pointed up. And I looked where his, where his finger was pointing, and there was this long post in the center of the boat, and a little bucket on top. This was the lookout. And he said, that place is for you. That place is for you. I reserved it for you. So you can see what's coming. And so you can let everybody know. I didn't know at that time. No clue. And I remember in the dream, I remember going all the way to the top, and I could see as far as I could see. In fact, I could see a storm that was coming. Dream was over. And all of a sudden, I, when I remembered those dreams, I'm like, man, that was a promise. That was a promise before I even came to Christ. And he, and he began to show me my life. I have other promises that, you know, I've always, I, I know God has promised me, I, I don't know how to say it, but these ministry, ministry, some type of prophetic ministry but every time he shows me, I try not to be prideful about it, but every time he shows me, he shows me around a large group of people. But see, here's where the problem came. I got so caught up in that, and I got so caught up in the details that I tried to make it happen myself. You know, I'd, I'd try to say I was this or, or that, or I tried to start something and try to do something over here. And it just never happened. It never happened. But I believe the promise was still there, but it hasn't been just these past several months. I had pretty much given up on it because I had not seen anything. As hard as I tried, as long as I've waited, 
there was no ministry there, no prophetic ministry. You know, no ministry where I spoke over people. And the thing is, is I had Ken Daly speak it over me, you know. Um, and there are some other people that spoke the same thing over me, and I just never saw anything. And I, uh, I had pretty much given up. I was pretty much ready to just abort. And I just was happy with what I was doing, you know, operating in the body, um, doing whatever I need to do, working with the group that we have. But it wasn't until recently, and when I mean recently, probably just these past couple weeks since I had you guys said we need to get together, that God said, Michael, don't forget about the promise that I made you. Don't forget about the things that I have told you, what's been spoken over you. And I take, I take this personally, yet I have reserved 7,000 for you, Michael. Now, I'm sharing that with you. Just, I'm just being honest with, real, with the, one of the promises that God has. You know, in fact, I've prayed about it so much, I, I told God, I said, I'll wait for the 7,000. You know, part of me wondered, and it's where I have to be careful. You know, uh, sometimes I wonder, did I hear you, God, when I, when I heard you say, call the 7,000, find the 7,000? But, you know, I can't get caught in the details. Because if I get caught in the details, I'm going to start ordering the details. And I can't do that. We can't do that as, as leaders. We can't do that. But even if we set aside our labels and what we are in the body, as individuals, we can't do that. You know, many of you have promises that relate to you personally. Many of you have, but you also have promises that relate to you, you know, spiritually, in the sense of God has given you a promise about a ministry, maybe. You know, family. Your house. You know. Um, and I wanted tonight to be a time where you could look at those promises and you could remember and you could rejoice over them instead of Letting, letting the promises just push you down and be a weight to you. I don't want the promises God has given you to be a weight. I want the promises God has given you to be a joy for you to look at them and to allow the, those promises that you, are, that you just don't feel joyful about anymore. I want you to be joyful about them. I want you to be pregnated, to be pregnant with those promises. Because at some point in time, that promise is going to give birth. At some point in time, you're going to have to be there when that promise gives birth. And you're going to do something extraordinary. Because, see, that promise belongs to you. It's not one of those things, well, if you don't do it, God's going to pick somebody else. I believe that promise is specific to you, and if you don't do it, it's dead. I don't want my promise to be dead. I don't want my promise to be 
abandoned. I want to take this promise and I want to rejoice and I want to celebrate. I want to take this promise and if God tells me to share it, I'm going to share it. If I want to do whatever God tells me to do with this promise. If it's just hold on to it, if it's look at it, remind myself every day of this promise because they are promises and there's hope. There's hope in that promise. When you look at that promise, when you read over those promises that you wrote, those are your promises. They're not my promises. They're your promises. And when you look over those promises, I want you to see the hope in them. I want you to see that God has breathed into those promises. That they're not just some promises that somebody came up to you or you just thought about yourself. You know, I can think of the promises that you guys have. You waited for a husband for a long time. And I'm sure there was a time when you were about to lose that hope. All of you in here have waited for a promise. And there at least has to be one promise you can say it, was, it has been fulfilled. At least one. Because I don't, think, I don't believe God is that kind of person that would just leave you completely hanging. That's not the God I serve. See, I serve a God that when he promises something, he comes through. Not on my time, but on his time. And his time is this wonderful, fantastic time. Because if it were to happen too early, we would have taken it for granted. If it would happen too late, we get bitter. And we say, why did you take so long? But it happens just at this right time. Just at the time when you think maybe that you're on the edge. And you're ready to just abort the promise. But then God comes by and he touches you. And he says, remember. Remember when I spoke to you that promise. Remember the day when I spoke it to you and your heart was overjoyed so much that you just, just overwhelmed you with tears. Remember the promise. Because now I get in that place, I remember the promise, and there's still this part of me that's kind of like, see, I'm trying to get that joy back in the promise. And the more I think about it, the more I read it, I get excited about the promise and the things that God has, has promised me, the things that he promised me and Sarah together, what was going to happen in our lives. And I've seen two of those things already fulfilled. I'm waiting on the third. And that third is coming. I, every now and then I get on, I'll just tell you what it is. I'm just going to share it. Not that I'm bragging, not that I'm boasting, but I'm going to be excited about this. I, I mean, I don't... You know, I, I've been too long looking at promises and getting sad. It's time for me to turn the tables, change the situation, adjust the thermostat and change the atmosphere and look at my promises like, you know what, I don't know when this is going to happen, but when it happens, man, you better watch out. Because it's going to be awesome. Because God is going to do something so awesome that I will not even be able to contain it, that it will have to pass over to my children. That's the promise that I have. So one of the promises 
I was mowing the grass. I don't know if you guys, when I mow the grass, for some reason, I really hear God. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but I hear God. I'm, I hate mowing grass, but that's when, I'm, when I mow grass. I really hear me off the lawnmower. Because <laughs> I, just, I don't know, there's something about it, because I don't hear anything else but the lawnmower and stuff. Yeah, it's just, so. yeah, I hearing God. And, and probably, this was way before Sarah got pregnant, back in early of the spring of the year. And we had been discussing having a third. You know, I was still in that place, Sarah, if we're going to do this, we better hurry up because, you know, I'm just, <laughs> if we wait too long, I'm just not going to be in the, I'm just not going to be a place for it to have a baby, you know? <laughs> exactly. Have a short time frame and then get Yes. So anyways, so we're kind of going through this process and I'm still debating this. I'm still not sure. And I said, I was on, I was cutting grass and God all of a sudden just begins to speak to me. He starts sharing with me. He starts fast forwarding my life because I'm always praying, Lord, why is it that I can, I can look at somebody and prophetically see what's going to happen in their life, but I have no clue what's going to happen with my own. Why do you do that to me? You know, and I'm cutting grass for the third time. But God starts speaking to me, and he starts showing me things. And he gives me three promises. He's not in, I thought they were in a specific order, but they have, they're not necessarily. But one of them was, you will have child number three. The third one was, or the second one was, you will have a job. Two have been fulfilled. The third one, there's a plot of land in Alexandria with a house with 30 acres. It's got a barn next to it. And I said, Lord, and, I, and he told me, I saw that house. I saw that house while I'm mowing the grass. 30 acres, that's a lot to mow. I'm gonna have to do something. Dude, just plant the trees. Just plant the trees. Just plant trees. Exactly. And I say, because to umbrella all that, God keeps on telling me ministry, ministry, ministry. And you know, all of us lately, my heart has really been with you guys and the, the Council of Prophets. You know, this has been one of the best things, at least for me. Um, you know, and I said, Lord, if this is your promise to me, and if you do give us this house with this 30 acres of land with this nice barn on it, then I'm going to turn it into something for you. I'm just going to turn it into something like, I don't know, something for ministry. It's going to house. And then I think about it. The more I think about it, I said, it's going to house the reserved, the 7,000 that have been waiting. It's going to house because lately God's been telling me, I mean, every time I read that, it becomes real to me. And I get excited now when before I didn't because nothing was happening. I still, you know, 
quite frequently at night, I get on my iPad and I hit realtor.com. I make sure that house is still up for sale. That house has been up for sale for three years. No one's bought it. And I said, Lord, I'm waiting. Two of them have already come to pass. We're having our third. I have a job. And now I'm just waiting for you to. But I can't worry about the details of that. Because, see, if I decided to take that up, I'd get myself in some bad debt. Or I'd do something stupid, you know, if Sarah didn't stop me first. You know, she'd definitely stop me. Yes, I know, right? She likes to jump into everything. I know, right? I got to pull back. She, she definitely pulls, whoa. Um, but I get excited you win the time I didn't. And I want you guys, I want all of you, I want all of us, but not even us, but even the body. Because I see sometimes we get into that place just like Elijah or Ezekiel, where he pumps them all up. But then he forgets they got pumped up, but they still have no hope. They're still walking around, even though they got flesh and they got breath in them, they're still walking around. They just got enough breath to say, I have no hope. Just cut me off. That's about as much breath as they have. Now, I'm not saying everybody's like that, but I, 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 won't, I wouldn't doubt that there's some of them in our body that are just, that are not, if not, um, nothing else, they're on the verge of aborting a promise. And once you abort that promise, you can't get it back. And that's why it's so scary. And that's why I wanted to share with you guys because I was afraid that some of you were getting ready to abort a promise. Mm -hmm. Don't let your dreams die. See, God has given you dreams of what you are going to do down the road, what's going to happen with you or you and your family, the multiplication of your family. Don't let that dream die. Don't let that promise go. Don't let that hope slip away. Because if you do, you'll regret it the rest of your life. And it'd be like something's torn from you. A piece of you will just vanish. You know? I truly believe that in Elijah's case, his greatest moment wasn't the prophets of Baal. But his greatest moment came after the prophets of Baal. His greatest moment because that's when he heard a promise. And that's when God reassured him, I have 7,000 because he who is so down, I'm the only one. And how many times have you thought to yourself, man, there is nobody else in the world like me. Nobody else struggling like I'm struggling. No one else dealing with the promise that hasn't been fulfilled like I have. And then God says, wait a minute. I have reserved 7,000. So he has taken your promise and he has, reversed, he has kept it safe. And see, that's what Elijah needed to hear. And he got a directive. Go anoint this person. Go anoint that person. Go take Elijah, or Elisha. He'll succeed you. So he had a directive and a promise. I believe this was his greatest moment. Not the big 
brouhaha. I think it's awesome, though, with the prophets of Baal. But see, with this, this was something that Jezebel couldn't take from him. She couldn't take that from him. She could take that moment of slaying the prophets from him. She almost did. Because she told him she was going to kill him. But when you got that promise and you're holding tight to it, nobody can take that away from you. Nobody. I mean, I don't care who it is. Your worst enemy can't come up to you. And if you got hold of that promise and if it's inside of you, no one on God's green earth, no enemy, no devil, no demon, Satan himself cannot snatch it from you.